0: Hello and welcome back to the Homegrown Horticulture Podcast. J.D. Gunnell discusses great trees with fall color that grow well in Utah. Michael Karen discusses planting and watering trees to get them established.
1: If we've had a really dry year, That affects the fall color. The trees need moisture to have healthy growth that that season. So sometimes it can be drought stress. Sometimes it's just poor species selection. One of the most popular trees sold in the Intermountain West is a red maple. And typically red maple is an eastern native species that struggles with our high pH soils. And so not to pick on a specific variety or cultivar, but autumn blaze, for example, is sold really readily. And it's a hybrid between a silver maple and a red maple and touted to have really, really cool red fall color. And I have seen some beautiful autumn blaze along the Wasatch Front. Typically, though, they're found in places with really well-drained soils along the benches. You get down in the valley floors where you're heavy clay, and these trees really struggle because the, the pH changes. And so sometimes those trees don't color up because of the soil characteristics.
0: So the two that I see, you mentioned autumn blaze and then the red maple. And of those red maple varieties or cultivars, the October glory is the one that for some reason, at least in Utah County, besides autumn blaze, that I just get question after question about.
1: It's a tree that does really well in the Pacific Northwest and they grow a lot of them. And so they... they assume that they can grow here as well and they and they do grow they just don't thrive and so you have to be really careful on the species selection you know we we promote the usu tree browser as much as we can there's nearly 250 different species of trees that are adapted and grow well and that's a it's a website uh, treebrowser.org or it's a it's actually an app that you can download on your phone for free it's just the USU tree browser. And then you can go through and sort trees and, and the ones that will do well. But, you know, typically, or generally speaking, rather, red maples, the Acyl rubrum's, really struggle in our dry, arid soils with high pH. So the one thing that I like to tell people is there's hope. Maples do well here. There's a whole selection of hybrids called the truncatum series some of the most common cultivars are Pacific Sunset, Norwegian Sunset, there's a whole new series, Ruby Sunset, Crimson Sunset and Urban Sunset. They all perform really well in our soils and they have really nice fall color. Sometimes they're a little bit late to color up, but they do a lot better than the than the red maple.
0: Well, I've liked them because they don't seem to get the iron chlorosis that you mentioned earlier. And then they also don't seem to get the branch dieback problems of Norway maple yeah. that you see 10 or 15 years down the road.
1: Yeah, so those are great selections for the red hues, oranges.
0: So as far as availability under native big-tooth maple from local garden centers, are there newer cultivars out or newer varieties besides the the one that's been available forever. I know that they often grafted it onto sugar maple, and so it wouldn't color up well.
1: Yeah, and there's one called um, Rocky Mountain Glow that you're referring to that's on sugar maple rootstock. There's a newer one out of New Mexico called Mesa Glow. Sad news is that it's also on a sugar maple rootstock. So to be sure that it's going to grow well in the Intermountain West, you almost have to go with the big-tooth maples that are on their own rootstock, just seed-grown. And when you get those, it's just the genetics of what you get. It's seed grown. So whether it's orange or yellow or red, you're not going to know until it colors
0: up. So even though the availability may not be quite there, the tree's going to go orangey red to true red. And so it's still even seed grown should be quite pretty.
1: Yep. It's one of my favorite trees. I've got five or six to plant in my own yard this weekend, and I'm excited because I've got a couple acres but I can't water or irrigate that area and so I'm going to plant some of these native trees and water them for the first season and then not be able to water them again and they're going to do great not because I'm a horticulturist but because they're native and they're adapted really well to our dry soils.
0: Before we jump to another tree, would you mind talking about the importance of irrigation and how it can affect a tree's coloring up or not?
1: The best scenario is having A tree that's not drought-stressed, that gets good irrigation, even the big Tooth maple that's native is going to need at least 15 inches of irrigation in the summertime. You know, in in good years, we get that natively through summer storms and other things. And then that helps uh, accumulate sugars in the plant so that when the leaves start to senesce in the fall, those sugars get trapped in the leaves. And, you know, the red hues, the pink hues, they're called anthocyanins. They are primarily created in the fall. And so you have to have the sugars in the tree available for those colors to develop. And a lot of that has to do with that that season, the entire season, not just the fall temperatures.
0: I remember a line of autumn blaze maples in North Logan that were planted along a an irrigation ditch and water ran down the ditch once a week and that was it Yep. and so those trees were 2 or 3 inch caliper and 15 feet high, maybe 10 wide and they were among the most gorgeous trees you'd ever seen you would have thought you were in Vermont and they were planted in a really clay soil but I I remember looking at them for 3 or 4 years and then all of a sudden the ditch got filled in and they were put on pop-up sprinklers and watered 3 times a week for 20 minutes and immediately that next fall the colors became a muted orange and it all was to do with the irrigation.
1: A lot of the fall colors have they're directly correlated to the the health of the plant, and the health of the plants directly correlated with the amount of water they get. Even to new trees, if you're planting new trees in a landscape, I tell people I, I water things by buckets for the first year. That way I'm I'm insured that I'm not going to overwater them because I have to carry the buckets. I give a tree five to 10 gallons a week, period. It's okay for them to to droop a little bit, to dry down a little bit. It forces those roots to to search for water, and you get a stronger root system.
0: Back to some other trees. We had talked about the Truncatum series. What other trees do you like for fall color?
1: So paper bark maple has a nice orange, cinnamon brown, exfoliating bark, meaning that bark peels. It has like a fire engine red fall color. I think it's beautiful. Another one is a sensation box elder. Sensation is the cultivar. And when I say box elder, at least up in Cache Valley, people frown and wonder about my schooling and my education level. Because, you know, a lot of people hate box elder trees because of box elder bugs. The bugs are attracted to the seeds. They feed on the seeds and then they become a nuisance. This sensation is a male clone. So, it actually doesn't produce seeds. You're not going to get the bugs with it. But it goes an an array of pinks and yellows and oranges and reds. It's a beautiful tree. Another one that is really nice for the the reds and oranges is a Zelkova, Japanese Zelkova. There's a lot of different varieties again. Um, The one I have in my yard is called wireless because it's short, it's about 25 feet tall, 30 feet wide. But when a Zelkova Starts to color up. It does it one branch at a time, and it usually starts on the inside, and then it kind of works its way on the to the perimeter. It almost looks like the tree's on fire. It's like a burnt bronze orange fall color.
0: It's beautiful. That wireless is one of my favorite trees. I I personally think that it's a very unfortunate name. Yeah, but it's an awesome tree. I mean, I really like it just because it seems like it would fit right into a Japanese garden. You know with a look and how the the branches are layered
1: they're beautiful there's a newer one out from j frank schmidt company in oregon called city sprite and it's even a tighter canopy it, i think it only gets 15 to 20 feet both ways and it's more of an oval or round shape and it actually will go a, a bright yellow in the fall I I am a huge advocate of a lot of different variety in a landscape so you can have a lot of variety and visually speaking but yellows are some of my favorite for fall like that city sprite is a bright yellow my hands down favorite fall color tree in the yellow hues has to be a ginkgo biloba the tree is amazing we talk about fall it's not very long after the enjoying the colors that you're threading all of the raking that has to happen, ginkgos will actually drop their leaves almost all at the same time. And so you're raking one time versus some of the other species that take a long time to drop everything. Mm -hmm. Honey locust is another tree that I think has really great, brilliant yellow fall color. And I've noticed that if we have a long extended uh, fall, where it's warm and in really good weather for a long period of time, those yellows almost turn orange because of the sun. But honey locusts are, are great trees for landscape.
0: You know, for some smaller trees, can you comment on the Rugged Charm and Hot Wings maples?
1: They're beautiful trees. Their season of color is actually more of a summer red because of the seeds. So the samaras turn a brilliant red color. But the fall color on them is great as well. So small trees, tatarian maples are hard to beat. And they're very durable, drought tolerant. Uh, more that have good fall color are crab apples. They actually will have some really great fall color. The one that I recommend the least uh, because of the fruit size is Clem's bechtel. They have really big fruit on them, but the orange and, and red fall color on the Clem's bechtel is stunning.
0: They are beautiful. One other tree that I really like for fall color, at least a group of trees, are the tree form service berries. Oh
1: man. And they're a seasonal tree, like springtime and the, the blossoms, but the orange and red fall color, you're right. Those those are great trees and very adaptable and drought tolerant.
0: You rarely rarely see them with iron chlorosis. If they get fruit on them, the birds pick it off, so they're pretty much fruitless and just not messy trees and great for smaller yards.
1: I actually try to beat the birds to the fruit. I like them. To me, they're kind of like a dry blueberry
0: I accidentally cut off the tail end of this interview. It included thanking JD for his time and efforts and for coming on, but I want JD to know that it was greatly appreciated and I appreciate his knowledge.
2: most important things about um, planting woody plants particularly is making sure that the hole is big enough and by by that I mean that the hole is a lot wider than than the pot is or than the root ball is that that's kind of the first thing in 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 about three main commandments that I talk to people about and that's make a wide shallow hole so the hole shouldn't be any deeper than the root ball is tall so it doesn't settle in there and create kind of a, a low spot where water will collect and the reason that we go with a much wider hole is is so that the soil becomes loosened and less compacted and the roots can then penetrate into that softer soil which is still the native soil and then they can kind of get off to a good start and then get established a little bit before they have to work into the harder soil so it's really just a compaction relief idea that the, the hole is wide and shallow. And also don't put anything back to the planting hole except for the soil that came out of it. So don't amend it with organic matter or anything uh, like that or sand or anything. Put the dirt back in that, that came out of it. If you have big rocks, obviously you can leave those out. The reason for that is that the roots of these woody plants are going to spread over a very large area. They'll Most trees and, sh- and shrubs will take up a rooting area about three to seven times the diameter of the crown. Given that, that it, it doesn't make sense that amending the potting soil or, or the soil that goes in the hole with a little bit of potting soil is actually going to do the, the tree any long-term good. And it just adds more to the cost of planting trees when it's just simply unnecessary.
0: And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I understand, that mixing you know the old standard was one-third, one-quarter, one one-third compost to two-thirds native soil But that causes, as it decomposes, the soil sinks and then it creates an artificial environment that actually may prevent the roots from reaching out even further because you've got a situation where you freed up nitrogen and the soil's all nice and fluffy and so the roots will temporarily stay in that bowl and it actually prevents them from... Establishing better,
2: yeah, and that, especially when that's coupled with a hole that was dug narrow and and not wide enough to kind of loosen that soil up. But one of the one of the biggest problems that we see in landscape trees is that they're planted too deep as well, which means we need to plant that where the roots actually start needs to go at the top of the soil level. So, and this is sometimes even a problem with nursery stock. It might have been repotted as the tree grew, been potted from one pot size up to the next to the next, and and it's just The stem is buried deeper and deeper, and the root system ends up being deeper and deeper in the soil. And root systems on trees aren't typically as deep as people think they are. They tend to spread out in vast areas, but they don't tend to go very deep. And evidence of that is just, look, every time we have a big windstorm, which we had one recently, and you see a lot of trees that tip over, and they take all the lawn with it. They're down maybe six inches or so, and, and that's about the end of it they have to spread out and take up a lot of water and nutrients and they have to compete with the grass and the other plants there. And so they typically don't root as deeply as people think they do. So that's why we do say a wide, shallow hole, put the soil back into the hole that came out of it, let those roots move out and establish in, in the in the soil that they're going to have to spend the rest of their life in.
0: So JD yesterday talked about how he waters trees when they're in their first year and he said that he packs buckets of water, five-gallon buckets, to the tree and hand waters them to ensure that it goes deep instead of just relying on his drip system or whatever else he has there. Do you have a favorite method of watering?
2: I will drag a hose across to whatever I, wherever I can. if the sprinklers put out uh, a lot of water, particularly if it's a pop-up sprinklers, they'll usually do a good job of keeping that tree wet, soaking it real good. Uh, One thing that I am a huge fan of, especially in trees that where where the irrigation might be a little bit more limiting, or say it's it is on drip, which can be really problematic for woody plants. And I that that's a whole other topic. Like my love affair with drip is over, um, especially as it pertains to woody plants. It's just really difficult for them to get the moisture they need on drip systems. One of the things that I that I like the idea of a lot are these what are called like tree bags or water bags for trees, and these are are basically bags yeah. that you fill with water and they fit around the base of a tree. Sometimes they go up the trunk a little ways and they can hold anywhere from few gallons to 10 gallons or so. And then they leak water out of the bottom of the bag. So either through little drip emitters or just as the bag seeps the water out. And those can be refilled periodically throughout the summer and really help those trees get through that first year, which is the most critical. And and Tom, you and I have been involved with you know with a long-term tree survival study that's been done here that we did here in Utah. And tree mortality is really high in the first two years. So if we can if we can get plants adequately uh, watered and established during that first two year period, they have a much greater chance of survival in the years to come.
0: On the planting, I I don't know why, but over the last couple of weeks I've had like three or four people ask me if they should shove a PVC pipe next to the tree and fill it with water. What are your thoughts on that?
2: My overall opinion about it is that it's really unnecessary. And we talk about deep watering trees, and and really what that means is we we want to deep water them, and, and we need to make sure we're getting at least twelve inches deep, maybe to sixteen inches deep, just and then just letting the soil dry dry down a little bit between the irrigations, kind of like what we say for lawns.
0: I don't like the idea personally because there's nothing stopping the water, and at least around the pipe, you've got this permanent mucky wet spot that I think would potentially rot the roots in that area. What
2: you really get is, especially if you've got fairly dry soil, you'll have this wet pocket surrounded by dry soil, and that doesn't normally benefit the root system at large. So it it might help one small area of the tree, but the root systems on woody plants tend to spread out over a very large area. And they're going to take up water from that area. And so this is also another reason why I say, you know, drip irrigation for trees is really difficult because the root systems don't stay in that little pot that we planted, in that little root ball. They're going to spread a great distance. And so they need to take up water from that area. And so if we're not adding lots more drippers as the tree gets bigger and kind of an expanding circle, or have drip systems on a grid where, you know, we've got tubes every 12 inches that are emitting water. Better really for them to be on on a sprinkler irrigation system that waters more of the root zone area than kind of this point source um, drip. Drip irrigation is great for real crops like onions and can be good for point source and things like rock gardens. And unless you're willing to put in a grid system of drip for woody plants, it oftentimes misses the mark.
0: Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it. I've been to too many landscape sites where initially trees are overwatered and then two or three years down the road, the middle of the tree is overwatered and then it dies of, you know, if a tree can buy die of both too much and too little water, that's what happens.
2: The other thing too is that drip systems don't necessarily make it so people correctly water. Like I've worked with people who overwater with drip. So they're killing their plants with too much water. Using a drip system, which you, you know we kind of think of drip as, oh, it's drought tolerant, it's low water use, those kind of things. Well, it isn't if you run the system incorrectly, it's just like any other sprinkler water delivery system. If you water too much, you water too long, you have it come on too often, those kind of things. You can still create soggy, saturated soil, albeit just in a in a more local area than you might if it was say sprinklers over the whole landscape.
0: Yeah, and, and it six or seven bucks a perennial and $150 a tree, that gets awfully expensive fast.
2: Well, and when you look at a tree, the initial cost to purchase it and then install it, and some people will have you know another person install it. And typically the installation fees are are equal to what the tree costs. It's typically what the industry charges. So if a tree is $150, probably about that much to have somebody plant it for you. And then the cost of actually then removing an old tree that didn't work out in that spot adds to all of this and so value wise you know next to hardscape you know things like patios and driveways and and water features and things like that trees are the biggest living expense and they are long-lived and they have a lot of risk if they fail they have a lot of cost if they fail so it makes the most sense to me to choose wisely uh, plant correctly Try and uh, make sure that they have the best chance of survival, since they'll probably be there long after you know we are. Like, my plants aren't for me; my they're for the next owner of my house. You know, that's that's really what it is.
0: Well, thank you. I want to note that during these challenging times with COVID. I have not been able to travel in person to interview people and so I've been using phone conversations and Zoom, which the quality is decent but not great. So thank you for bearing with me with the audio on this particular episode, but I think the content is great. Thank you for listening. The Homegrown Horticulture Podcast is a production of Utah State University Extension.